Welcome to episode 23 of Cartel Conversations, the podcast of the Micromodel Railroad Cartel. Joining me tonight is our co-host, Ian Holmes. And how are you doing this evening, Ian? Cold, Tom. Cold. Yeah. It's about minus 35 degrees Fahrenheit with the wind chill out there right now. So I am chilled to the bone, but I'm so I'm staying inside keeping busy and warm with the assembly of the spring issue of the dispatch. There's going to be so much information in this issue. It's going to take me a long time to put it all together. It makes me warmer thinking about the spring issue. That's hard to believe. We're already talking about the spring issue uh, yeah. coming up. Uh, when were you, um, when are you kind of, what's your tentative uh, plan to release that? Uh, what month are you going to release that in? We're doing the dispatch four times a year, so it's going to be a seasonal thing. So I think that the way I'm going to do it is on the first day of each season. So the spring issue will be first day of spring is like March the 20th or March the 21st, isn't it? Depending on where the planets fall. And uh, so you'll be looking for the you'll be looking for the spring issue at the start of spring you'll be looking for the summer issue at the start of the summer the autumn issue at the start of autumn and of course the winter issue that's going to be december the 20th isn't it so or thereabouts so yep you'll be looking for the dispatch on the first day of the season the dates referring to i think pretty much most people are okay with knowing when the seasons start well, Ian, uh, what have you been working on since our last episode? Okay, well, if you've seen my uh, Small Model Railways blog recently, you will have seen me describing the construction of uh, foam core board baseboards. I can't say too much about that right now, as it's probably going to be tied in with the uh, cartel challenge for this year. But, uh, you know, I'm working and working with it and trying to find – and learning how to work with the material you know and uh, so um, I mean, in fact just before i came on online with you i was experimenting with uh, a sector plate for the baseboard so uh, you know i'm working on things my baseboard method makes a good solid rigid square baseboard but you know it's foam core so it's like if you put a pivot point in there for a sector plate it's it's going to like wear away and make the hole larger as it compresses the foam around the pivot pin for the sector plate. So I'm working on solving that problem right now. Well, I actually may have something that might help you. I want to talk about that with mine because I've actually started a new foam core baseboard for my new micro project, which is actually going to be a little micro layout at in scale. And I'm going to have a 22 by 26 inch baseboard. And uh, I'm going to also have tracks at various levels. Uh, think Appalachian Mountain Railroading in the autumn. Ooh, and I I've like got Appalachian a, Mountain Railroading. Yeah, and, and there's a reason why I'm going with that, because uh, actually I've still got a lot of old in-scale equipment that I bought from the 80s and 90s. And that's when I got my first serious start into the hobby. It was around 1985. And uh, I have several locomotives and pieces of rolling stock in the CNO and chassis system livery. So that's going to be the theme. That's why I decided to do something, you know, Appalachian Mountain layout. And so that's what I'm going with with this. And I'm also going to try my hand at autumn scenery. That's something I haven't tried before. I've already picked up some um, 
uh, leaf material for autumn trees and I've still got a box of super tree material that's going to last me for years the rate I'm building especially with micros so uh, I'm looking yeah, forward yeah. to trying that out I'm looking forward to see what you do with the autumn scenery you know because not many people do autumn scenery very well yeah and I, I've seen there's, several there's a, ten, there's a tendency with trees to just go with one like if a tree they model a tree what I've seen a lot of people will just do like the whole tree will be like orange Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. or a russet red or whatever for the fall colours. They people a lot of people don't really look at the trees and see that some trees will they'll have like patches of like orange and maybe a yellow and then some of the leaves will still be, be green. You know, it's a very gradual process. The um fall colours taking over. So I'm looking forward to seeing you do this, Tom. Seeing you do fall really well. Well, there's pressure for you right there. But <laughs> I, the good thing is, though, is when I was cleaning out, I, I cleaned out a storage unit where I had all my old end scale stored. And I have a bunch of, uh, um, I think it's a CTC board um, uh, railroad magazines that uh, I don't know if they're still in print. I think they are. But I have a bunch of old ones and I have several from Chessie up in the uh, up in the mountains and all and a lot of fall scenery. Uh, was it Sandpatch Tunnel, I think, is one of the sites that I've got some fall pictures. So I've got a couple of really good references. Of course, the Internet, you know, there's all kinds of references out there. So I'm going to try to uh, try to work on that and try to capture the color scheme as best I can. You're right. Uh, it's there's You always have a mix of, of greens and yellows and things and, and different shading on that. So uh, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, so something to look forward to, though, something to, to research and uh to plan out and it's going to be a little ways before i get mm-hmm. to to that step i've got the baseboards already put together i, I assembled that yesterday and uh, i have um what i've done is i'm going to try something out a little different for my little um clipboard method that i've used uh, i don't use very wide dimensions and as i've mentioned to you before and i don't know if i've mentioned to our listeners my uh, heron micro i've actually developed uh, some bad warping in the baseboard uh, due to it being L-shaped, I probably should have uh, made the L sectional to where I could have used the clips to hold it together and then disassembled it so I wouldn't have had this warping problem. But when I attached the uh, foam core baseboard, or excuse me, the foam core backdrop to the actual baseboard, uh, it started curling up on one end. So I've got a, a little bit of a kick up, almost about a three-quarter inch kick up on it right now, and I've tried putting weights and other things on it. So it's kind of one of those things where... The warping got me there, and I understand now why it did that. So I've been thinking about some different methods on how to reinforce that, but I don't want to, you know, get into putting too much uh, heavy weight into it. So I used a product that uh, I've used quite a bit for scenery, and it's actually florist foam. It's green florist foam, and it comes in sheets. Well, it says it's two inches thick, but when I was putting my baseboard together, it's actually uh, not quite uh, two inches it's kind of like dimensional lumber you know how two by mm-hmm. four is supposed to be it's never two by four so oh, yeah. anyway um, I thankfully I went ahead and measured that first before I actually built my um, sides for my uh, box that I was making and I was able to make that adjustment but uh, this green floors foam it's not the kind that's got the um, 
that's water absorbent or that's real you know it's yeah. real dense and you can squish it and crush it yeah. it's actually a large cell structure uh-huh. uh it's not really like a white beadboard it's uh it's kind of hard to describe crispy but it's it crispy yes is, thank you yeah crispy very crispy that's a good word to describe it uh, uh-huh. but what i like about it is that uh it's very rigid i also uh learned about this actually from a uh, another model railroader it was from uh, one of his model railroad scenery videos his name's mike Confalone, and he put out a video several years ago and he uses the green foam uh for scenery and he'll and it's really easy to carve but what i like about it is it's still messy but it's not like um, extruded uh, foam, you know, the mm-hmm. blue foam, pink foam, you know, yeah. that stuff when you when you uh, scrape it, sand it, that all that material is very uh, staticky. It's very, you know, yeah. clings to everything. Mm-hmm. This stuff does not have any of that static cling to it at all. Yeah. Uh, it just, but it's it's very fine, but it's it's almost like sand. It's real gritty, but it's not sand. I mean, I don't want people hearing that and thinking it's sandy. It's just, but it's it sweeps up. You know, I, I have a little vacuum I use to clean it up. Works great. And uh, it doesn't have that. It doesn't stick to everything. So it cleans up real easy. But one of the things that Mike Confalone liked to use for it was that uh, when he uses it as a scenery base, um, instead of having to put uh, plaster over it and all that stuff and then have to drill holes to plant trees, mm-hmm. it's florist material. So you can push the trees in and it holds it really firm. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I really like about it, too, is because then if I'm experimenting with different tree arrangements, if I don't like it, I don't have to keep drilling holes into, you know, a, a plaster scenery base. Yeah. I just push them into this foam and it's really easy to make changes to it and all. And you don't have to pre-drill any holes for it. So uh-huh. that works well. Or if you just use like a, an ice pick or an awl to push it in, it works fine, too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, that's that's one of the nice things about it. But uh, what I did was I, I made some uh, cut some blocks. Uh, cutting is a problem I have a little bit. I found a little a little hacksaw tool mm-hmm. uh, at a local um, uh, farm and home store, and I thought, oh, this might work with, good for cutting, but it's still the the hacksaw blade bends and stuff, and yeah, it's it's let's put it this way, it's not very pretty, but it's going under the layout, and I'm just, just kind of running it as a support system underneath the box, the uh, foam core box, and I have to say it's very rigid that way, and I think it'll keep that. Um, warping of the baseboard, especially when I start applying scenery material. And I'm hoping that that will keep it rigid. And like for your idea for your sector plate, a piece of this foam might be a good um, uh-huh. uh, thing to insert a doll or whatever you're going to use is, is for your, um, you know, for whatever you're going to hold your bolt that's going to hold your uh, sector plate to swing uh, in the direction that you need it to swing. And hopefully that would uh, work real well and not damage the foam core yeah. over time. Like you said, the mm-hmm. foam core will start stretching on that. Just a thought. I yeah, don't know if that would work for you or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, I'm currently installing road bed. I started that. Got it. See, that's the nice thing about foam core. I, I got that assembled yesterday, and then I had to go do a garage cleaning yesterday. And then when I got back, I started applying road bed material. And I actually, uh, first time I'm using this, it's uh, Woodland Scenics foam road bed. It's instead of the cork road bed. Yeah. And uh, first time that I've actually uh, used it, it's end scale. And I have to say, it's it's really easy to work with. So I think I like it a lot better than the old cork road bed, at least for now, yeah. as I'm going along. And I just use push pins and use them glue to glue it down. And mm-hmm. it goes real fast. It cuts a lot easier than the cork does. So far, so good. And uh, hopefully I'll get that done here shortly and then be able to uh, get... Uh, 
uh, a loop of track going. Um, I've kind of designed this for um, having the bottom loop is just going to be, uh, I've got a passing siding and it's really just a, an oval of track that I'm going to be able to uh, run a train on and have tunnels in. And then the upper layers is where I'm going to have more of the switching and things like that. Tell you how old my end scale stuff is. It still has the old Rapido style couplers. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm not investing in the KD style couplers no. for it. I'm, I'm going with what I got. I've got a lot of old uh, material, old uh, rolling stock. And I just want to have something that I can set up and operate for my old equipment. And that's the plan so far. We'll see how it goes. Cool. Don't forget that the uh, Micro Model Railway Dispatch is free. And uh, you can subscribe, uh, put your name on the mailing list by sending an email to me. And that's mmrdeditor at gmail.com. It looks like Ian has a whole lot of info on our main topic for tonight, so I'm turning the mic over to him. Take it away, Ian. Yeah, thanks. So uh, following on from uh, last month's discussion about uh, tuning fork layouts, I thought we'd talk about ingle nooks uh, this time. So first question for you, Tom. Uh, does an American know what an ingle nook is in regards to I, a house? Uh, you know, I, I really don't. Uh, maybe maybe you would call it a chimney corner. Okay, all right. So anyway, but uh, so let's go over this to start with. For uh, for those who don't know what an ingle nook is in a house, basically an like ingle nook or chimney corner. It's a recess that adjoins a fireplace. You know, the, the word comes from ingle. It's an old old Scottish word for domestic fire, and obviously the word nook as well. So the ingle nook originated as like a partly enclosed hearth area around the fire as a part of a larger room. Back then, you know, the hearth was used for cooking, so it was very warm there. So it became a natural place for people seeking warmth to gather, you know, and as building designs changed, you know, the kitchen became a separate room. But the ingle nook was still remained around the fire as a warming place. You know, a smaller ingle nook might only have space for a storage area for wooden coal for the fire you would find like a wood basket or a uh, a coal bin or something alongside the fire in the in the ingle nook area and you would have a few shelves above that oh, a larger one might have a seat in the area so um, even though the coal fire is like almost gone you know the, the ingle nook that recessed feature is still a part of old houses old house designs so uh, that's what an ingle nook is in relation to a house now if we're going to talk about the uh, the model railway track plan you know it's often described as the ubiquitous ingle nook because it is so popular and it's seen over and over again i mean it seems to be one of the world's oldest track plans um one a.r walkley uh, yeah, A R A R Walkley. Do you know how long it took me to find what his name really was? He comes from a time where you know a certain class of people, uh, the upper class of people, professionals and such like, 
you didn't know them by their names. You knew them by their initials. If you see it in a lot in Railway Modeler magazine and British Model Railway magazines of the period early, that writers would go by initials rather than their names. So it took me an age to find out that it's really Arthur Reginald Walkley. He was credited with the design in his 1925 portable goods yard layout. And this was built in, in what would appear to be HO scale. When you think about it, HO scale in 1925, this guy was scratch building in HO scale in 1925. This was when people were playing with big standard gauge tin plate trains and the like. O gauge was relatively new. You know, he was building in what would appear to be HO scale. This layout was like it was six foot by one foot. It was a folding layout built as a suitcase layout. It was easily transportable. You know, he folded it up and had a handle on it, go to a show or whatever, open it up and he would be able to operate it. It was quite revolutionary in that way too. This Walkley chap, he was an incredibly prolific model builder. I mean, he... So you think he was crazy building in HO in 1925. He was building in models smaller than Z scale, working models smaller than Z scale back in the 1920s. He was an incredible model engineer. He um, was developing HO scale with other members of the uh, the model railway club that he was in in London, the Wimbledon Model Railway Club, which is the second oldest club in England. Not unsurprisingly, really, when we consider that people were playing with big tin plate trains at this time, this work didn't take off with the um, Inglenook track plan. In fact, it wasn't even called the Inglenook then. It was just like the portable goods yard or or the suitcase layout. So um, it took a uh, British modeler called Alan Wright to popularise the track plan in the uh, in the 1970s. He came up with the idea. He says he came up with the idea by himself. He's like he said he didn't know about Walkley's original. Uh, so he built his version of the layout, which is about four foot by one foot. And it fitted in the Inglenook in his living room. So that's where you get the Inglenook name from. It's where he mounted his layout on the wall on brackets. It fit it fit there perfectly in this four foot by one foot area. He says that this was just a development of a uh, earlier idea that he had in the 1950s. He had a he had a layout that consisted of a small layout oval of track, and it had two sidings with three wagon that could take three wagons in them. So he would make up the train with the wagons in the sidings and then run them around the oval to his heart's content. So that was called the right lines layout. And that was back in the 1950s, and it's quite a well-known layout in British model railway circles and you can yeah I think you can look it up and you can find stuff about it on the internet so but how in my research I found another version of the Walkley siding scheme and I think this one is truer to the uh, Inglenook ideal this is from a British modeler called W Hardin Osborne there you go there's the initials again for you yep so um I don't know. I couldn't find out what W was. Maybe might have been well have been William, but uh, W. Hardin Osborne in the December 1962 Railway Modeler magazine had an article about a layout 
that was billed as a Christmas party game. Not that I've ever been to a Christmas party where they played games with model trains. Have you, Tom? Not yet. <laughs> we are going to the wrong parties, clearly. It sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> so W. Harding Osborne's layout was five feet long and six inches wide, and he had definite rules set out for the operation of this. The ideal was the same as the modern ingle nook, but, and he had, like a, which we'll talk about in a bit, but this was... So this, to my mind, is the first iteration of the Inglenook concept as we know it today. It doesn't matter who came up with the idea, whether it was Walkley or Wright or Harding Osborne. You know, it's such a simple idea. I mean, I'm sure I messed around with Inglenook style track plans when I was a kid. I, I know I did, you know, but um, so it doesn't matter who came up with the idea. It's a good, sound idea. What? does an Inglenook do? What's the, what's the attraction of the Inglenook track plan? In the Inglenook plan, a single track divides into three sidings, and the capacity of the sidings was worked out to make for interesting shunting processes. Uh, the operator uses the wagons on the two short sidings to make up a train in a specified order on the longest siding. Working in Inglenook can be extremely absorbing and rewarding and relaxing. In fact, the second exhibition layout that I built to take to a model railway exhibition was an Inglenook sidings arrangement. It was a 533 Inglenook that I showed at the Mablethorpe District Model Railway Club show in 1986. Do you have um, any photos of that one, Ian? Did you have oh, any photos from that one, or is that something that uh, you know before you were taking photos of things? That, that was that was before that that was before I was taking pictures. I really should have done, but it, yeah, it was a it was very it, it was a very long, thin thing. In fact, it was like seven and a half feet long. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, so it sounds like a simple idea: one track into three sidings. You think, oh, it's going to be easy to make up a a train. On that, in fact, a friend of mine came over to the show and he thought, "Oh yeah, I can do that. Let me have a go." So I, I gave him a, a quick outline of how the layout worked, and uh, he set up and we drew some cards for him to make the train in whatever order it was. And uh, 45 minutes later, he was still doing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not as easy as it looks, is it? <laughs> not, yeah, exactly. Not as easy as it looks, but it can be very absorbing, very relaxing to to work on a layout like that. What you will often see Inglenooks described in terms of numbers, like a three two two or a five three three. So these numbers indicate the length of the sidings in wagons that the plan can take. The more wagons you can fit on the layout, the more possible permutations there are to assemble your train. You know, in the 533 Inglenook, you start with eight wagons on the layout and you use them to make up a five wagon train on the longest siding. And if a bit of clever maths, that means there are 6,720 arrangements of wagons on a train that are possible. I mean, that should keep you going for a while. You know, if the number of wagons that you have on the layout to start with, play a big part in how complex or how easy you can make the game. Yeah, you don't have to have eight wagons on a 533 if you want to make things easier. Eight wagons on a 533 is the maximum that you can have. With a 322 Inglenook, you have three plus two 
five wagons on the train and you leave two behind. See, it's it's even explained for you there in the description of a three two two ingle nook. It's three plus two and you leave two behind. A five three three has five plus three eight wagons and you leave three behind. Imagine how many permutations there are if you went up to a 744 or a 955 Inglenook. I've just just to be daft, I worked this out. Do you want to know? Yes, I would like to know. So, with a 744, there would be 9240 permutations, and with a 955, there would be a whopping 211,680 possible arrangements of wagons in a train i think that could keep you going for a while wouldn't it should (laughs) (laughs) yep so my first like i said my first ingle nook used ho scaler fern blue box locomotives and stock and it well like i said it was some seven and a half feet long because it was the 533 arrangement so the sheer size of american stock really precludes it from be being a 533 micro in ho scale so it's this this would explain why the 322 has taken off so much particularly for american prototypes it takes up less space and it makes marshalling a train easier it seems like carl the first person to have suggested the the 322 in his small layout gallery in december of 2013 he described how he'd been working with ingle nooks and he actually quoted that he'd actually used the 322 versions uh it's pretty incredible when you think that uh this track plan from the 1920s is still being worked on and developed and modeled today so that's not bad for a hundred year old idea not at all we've got a link to a very good shunting puzzles layout that we will share with you on the blog page microcartel.blogspot.com it's the um, website of Adrian Wyman, wyman.info. It's a really good resource for shunting layouts. Really, really nice, well put together website with lots of really good information. And that'll be under the uh, episode 23. So if you go to that uh, markercartel.blogspot.com website, just look for episode 23 when this comes out. And we'll have a link to that uh, shunting puzzles page for you uh, listed there. Uh, I've actually constructed an HO scale 322 ingle nook. I did that a few years ago, and it's uh, less than four square feet. And I'm using 40 foot box cars, and then I had to use some 35 foot covered hoppers to get everything to fit and work properly within the baseboard confines. Uh, I actually created this uh, version uh, to be disassembled and fit inside a, um, a gym bag. Uh-huh. I have an old ballistic cloth gym bag. And I actually did the segments so that it would all disassemble, fit inside this gym bag. And I have side pockets where I can put my power pack, my uh, box cars, and have those all ready to go. Uh, and my little, um, use my little um, oh, track mobile with it mm-hmm. and pack it up to take with me on the road when I go out rail fanning. That was the plan when I had put it together, was looking forward to doing that when COVID hit. I didn't get a chance to do that. Hopefully, maybe later this year, I can get out and uh, take that with me. And uh, that way, when I get the urge to play with trains, mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll have it with me to, to operate. Anything else before we wrap up this evening? Absolutely, Tom. Yes, don't forget 
that next month is March and we're going to be talking all about the cartel challenge for 2022. I'm excited. I am too. And we'll be putting out more information uh, next month on the podcast, as well as on the Facebook group for the Micro Model Railroad Cartels. So be looking in March yeah, for the rollout will, of I'm, the 2022. And, and I'm going to put a write-up about it in the dispatch as well. Excellent. So you'll be able to yeah, we'll get written copies of what we are planning in the dispatch. That sounds good. Okay, with that, we're going to close the podcast with a couple of links. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at microcartel at AOL.com. You can also comment at the podcast blog page. Ian gave that earlier, but let me give it to you again. The blog page for the podcast is microcartel.blogspot.com. If you're on Facebook, be sure to join the Cartel Facebook group. Just search for the Micro Model Railroad Cartel group. As you search Facebook, we should come up. Uh, you won't be able to actually view content because it is a private group. So you will have to join before viewing the group content. So be sure to answer all three questions in order to join. From Ian and myself, we wish you good health and happy railway modeling. Thanks for listening.